Good afternoon and welcome to the Dungeon Musings Podcast. My name is Kevin Madison and I will be your friendly dungeon master. No, I won't. I'll be your friendly dungeon muser today. Oh my goodness. Out of practice. So um, it is the beginning of uh, September uh, 2020 and I have completely missed effectively all of um, RPG a day. Uh, So that is uh, out the window. But what I thought I'd do uh, today is uh, hop on and talk a little bit about uh, what we've... um, what we've had in the last couple of days, or last little while, I should say, um, uh, the, my experiences with uh, some of the games on the channel, some of the one-shots we've run recently, and um, yeah, and then see if there's uh, any time to talk about what is uh, going to be happening next. So that is what we've got on the agenda for today's podcast. Let's get to it. So at the time of the recording, um, we still have uh, several uh, ongoing games uh, that have... Uh, uh, continue to be uh, or filling most of the roster of the um, Dungeon Musings uh, YouTube channel, uh, and those include our Night Below campaign, where we're up to tonight is uh, if we uh, if we don't play something different tonight, tonight will be uh, episode sixty six or session sixty six of that campaign. So like we're really getting some uh, some legs on that sucker, um, and uh, our our uh, legacy of the Crystal Shard campaign continues as well too, uh, which is up to, I think it's in the, it might be at 30, maybe at 30 sessions already, uh, and then our Astonishing Swordsman and Sorcerers of Hyperborea campaign has reached 40, and um, I'll go in reverse order, the, so the Astonishing Swordsman, as far as the state of play is concerned, the uh, Astonishing Swordsman and Sorcerers of Hyperborea game went uh, really well, uh, or I, I feel like it is really well, we had a bit of a rocky patch there with um, uh, just a siege that uh, I feel like it went on too long, um, uh, and then we had some really uh, tough uh, encounters for about two weeks back-to-back, but the last two sessions of it really have been quite good. Um, yeah, good engagement from the players, uh, good responses to, you know, it's the new content we're adding in, and I'm getting a chance to flex some of the more science fantasy elements of the um, uh, of the astonishing swordsmen and sorcerers of Hyperborea setting, so it's it's been pretty cool there. Um, so that's cool. I mean, like that that game is um, we're at like uh, almost two years with that game. On in January, it'll be two years. So we're uh, it's really cool to to see that uh, so much time has um, you know. So we've seen so much time go go on that uh, campaign, seen those characters develop. And uh, it feels like we've got a, with the developments of the last couple of sessions that have thrown the, our heroes into a brand new location facing a bunch of new unknown obstacles. And we had a character death as well, too, with a new uh, replacement PC. Um, the, it feels like there's been a new uh, life infused into that campaign. So I'm really excited about that. Uh, the Legacy of the Crystal Shard continues on. Um, we've had some really um, interesting sessions in that the last little bit. Uh, as well, where, and I feel like that one is approaching, um, not endgame, but it is, uh, it is definitely approaching, uh, something closer to, like, the final chapter of it, so, um, however, we've had a little, because of, uh, summertime and people being away, and also, I guess, people kind of getting back to, uh, whatever their new normal is, uh, with, uh, gaming schedules and stuff, we've been seeing a little, a little less uh, consistency with it, um, than in terms of attendance, but the um, that has given me a, an opportunity as well to run some some one shots, and we'll talk about that in a, in a bit here. 
Um, but that's pretty cool. And I'm, I'm the thing I'm excited about that one is that that one definitely has an end game uh, date, like an end date in, in mind. You know, uh, not not necessarily a date per se, but I mean there is an end point in mind where that that campaign will be. You know, and then they lived happily ever after, or then they died all horribly frozen. You know, so. Um, so that's that's actually pretty exciting, and I'm I'm trying to make sure I keep myself to the discipline on that one, to uh, to be writing towards a conclusion uh, for it, so that we can the players can all see sort of a resolution, uh, and we can bid their uh, stalwart heroes, uh, you know, a uh, uh, farewell. Um, I th- I'm thinking that I think the um, uh, I, there's an Icewind Dale, Rhyme of the Frost Maiden uh, product that's coming out pretty soon the next couple of weeks which is interesting because it's that's where we've been playing so there's gonna be a whole bunch of new content uh that will be dropping uh, fairly soon um that i might be able to make use of and i've even seen on the dm's guild there's been a bunch of new stuff that's been added uh that seems to um to relate to the um uh the the icewind dale setting as well too so you know even though i use a second edition uh, for this, I imagine that there is some content uh, that I will be able to make use of uh, in that campaign or from those products uh, for my campaign as well too. So maybe that will uh, infuse some life in. But I'm kind of I kind of want to stick to a, an end date for that one because I uh, I like I want to see one of our you know uh, one of our campaigns actually have a you know beginning, middle, and end. Uh, that's probably a good bit of discipline to learn on my part. Um, and um, the night below, night below continues to be great. Like we had um, a really a uh, couple of good sessions with the characters, in, you know, it, learning a little bit more about what kind of is going on. And that one feels like it's not like it's, we're nowhere near done that one uh, by any means. But I feel like we're getting close closer to a um, not a breakthrough per se, but like a uh, uh, kind of a, a a change in the campaign. You know, like the that campaign is, uh, for those who aren't familiar with it, is based on the classic uh, Night Below uh, box set. But I've made some pretty substantial changes to the uh, to the material and to the um, uh, the content. And um, I am so glad I did because I uh, the way that things have have panned out and and have played out have been really really fun. So I mean, some things um, I you know in uh, retrospect maybe I would tweak and and make them slightly different, uh, but. For, for the overwhelming whole, I'm really, really pleased with how that campaign or that part of the campaign has come together. Uh, the players, uh, player characters are about fifth or sixth, I think between fifth and seventh level, actually, now that I think of it, um, which is um, is, is pretty cool because uh, they're, they're seeing characters organically grow from uh, first level all the way up to seventh has been a lot of fun. Uh, the training mechanics definitely have... Um, have slowed down the characters. Uh, and, and I mean, I guess the structure of the campaign as well too, where they had to go out of town and into the wilderness, uh, and then, uh, risk the, uh, random encounters, you know, as they're going, that stuff, uh, definitely had an effect on the, um, you know, on uh, the decisions of the character characters as to how uh, often to be heading back to town, how often to be training. And, uh, it, it's been great. Like I, I really, I have really, really enjoyed that, uh, campaign where, I'm, I'm enjoying seeing the characters get to more power. We're effectively into kind of the, um, the middle tier or the second tier of, of play now because characters have hit mostly fifth level, which means we're getting access to third level spells, which definitely 
uh, make for a different encounter, different types of encounters. But we're also getting to um, highlight uh, some more uh, new monsters as well too. So uh, we've had uh, uh, stone giants playing a pretty big role. The characters have fought a couple of giants, and uh, that's been really really fun and and educational as well too for me in terms of the threat. Like holy crap, are giants a deadly uh, adversary in um, in this? Like I'm. Um, Definitely will. Uh, you, you need to be careful with uh, throwing those at your player characters because jeepers are they tough. Um, other things. Um, the other thing I guess I, uh, that's been going on too is I've had an opportunity to, to run quite a few more uh, one shots uh, as well. I think last podcast I talked about my uh, the Eberron one shot, which is really, uh, really, really fun. I ran a second Eberron one shot this past weekend in place of one of our Legacy of the Crystal Shard uh, games and. Uh, that one was was really good. I mean, we um, the characters uh, were same level as before, fourth level, and um, the uh, uh, the approach on this one, I decided to try and uh, play up uh, different parts of the Eberron setting. So instead of playing up the sort of you know the aspect of the war and the veterans and whatnot that I did in the last one, and sort of the impact of the war, this time I tried to lean more into two different elements. One of them was the more um, pulp adventure uh, aspects of it. So like the the large overall structure of the campaign featured the guys uh, trying to basically, you know, um, <laughs> be pirates and jump onto a, uh, a big uh, airship uh, and rob it um, while at cloud level, which was, uh, was really awesome. And the... Um, the, so that that was a, a lot of fun, and the other thing I played up was the uh, the Dreaming Dark, the the Kalashtar, and the Dreaming Dark and Dalcor. So if, if you're not familiar with the Eberron setting, um, one of the really unique things about it is they, they incorporate psionics in a really interesting way, and psionic characters and psionic adversaries. If you're um, if you're not familiar with the uh, like, I guess as background like that, that when um, Eberron came out, it was shortly after the. Uh, second version, the 3.5 version of the Psionics Handbook had come out and um, the the sort of instructions for uh, for the contest that made Eberron, or that led to the creation of Eberron, was that everything that's in D&D has to appear in this setting. So Psionics are in there. But Psionics, uh, the Kalashtar, are this really interesting race that is a fusion of both the um, uh, a human and a renegade kind of like I don't know, psionic demon kind of, uh, who have uh, fought for whatever reason, have decided to fight against uh, the their the rest of their race, the rest of the Cory race, which uh, are known as the Dreaming Dark. So you're playing this sort of fusion character that can be, uh, you know, the part of the campaign can be them wrapped up in a struggle against this secretive psionic uh, enemy. Uh, and that secretive psionic enemy also happens to control an entire continent not far away. So it's got a, a real fun kind of like, I don't know, like V or kind of like fighting secret war kind of element to it. It's it's an aspect of the Eberron setting that I found fascinating since the original uh, books for it. Um, they give in, um, I think it was in Races of Eberron, the, the original Races of Eberron book for 3.5, where they gave a sort of quick description of what this could be like. And it really has kind of a like you know um, cinematic or action quality like Exorcist Hunter 
type of uh, or exorcist, you know, type thing, monster hunter type thing, where you, you know one of in the short story or the little you know snippet, uh, it was talking about a, a major religious leader who gets assassinated, and the reason that they got the religious leaders assassinated is because they've been. Um, They've been, uh, uh, what do you call it, um, uh, possessed by a quarry who was trying to shift the church for his own nefarious purposes. And the assassin was uh, this quarry. So it's um, it's a part of the Eberron setting that I thought it was really cool. And it was, and the reason, the way I incorporated it into this particular, I mean, spoilers if you want to watch the episode. But uh, at the end of the heist, the guys thought they were going in to steal this major, you know, uh, thing from this um, that was being transported from this what serves as kind of like the place where all the secret ruins and stuff like that and uh, lost cities and shit are. This, this continent called Zendrik, another continent uh, separate from Corvair and Sarlona. The, uh, the thought was, was that um, the players would, um, you know, would jump in uh, and steal this stuff, but it turns out it's actually this artifact was being transported by a quarry uh, for nefarious purposes and our Kalashtar leader had not told the rest of the crew that they were actually going to go there to destroy it, not to, uh, to recover it. So it was, it was fun. And like, and there was great role playing by the players that they, they were all playing, um, uh, what do you call it? Um, pre-gens, but, um, man, like I, you know, fifth edition, uh, for a game that I didn't run an awful lot and I've never really been anti, that's not true. I mean, I've said some negative things about fifth edition before in terms of uh, the power level, but Man, oh man! Like I, I made use of um, some house rules to uh, to give legendary actions to some uh, the boss fights in in this one as well too, as same as I did in the, in the last one, and uh, it was um, it was really it made for a really 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 good combat encounter, like fun and tactical and dramatic, and the 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 boss felt like present all the time. So, um. I have been sort of getting an itch to try 4th edition again. And after running some pretty fun, um, you know, power-heavy 5th uh, edition ones, I don't know if I need to do that. I, I could just lean more heavily into sort of the, the set-piece encounter design uh, that I've been doing for these Eberron games and, and run it with 5th edition. Uh, so the long and the short is, I, boy, I uh, I still... Like, 5th edition is not, I think, the, the uh, tool that you use for everything. But man, oh man, is it a lot of fun for uh, for cinematic D and D style play? Like, just the, the, it ran very, very quickly. Even at fourth level, the characters had a lot of really fun stuff they could do. So the um, you know, like the the characters felt like they had some good tactical options they could uh, take advantage of. Um, they uh, uh, they had cool powers. Uh, the characters were very easy for the players to pick up and play, even with uh, effectively no preparation. Uh, so. It was really, really good in that way. Um, and it was super easy to throw the characters together as well and very easy to fudge stuff on the fly. You know, I, um, uh, I'm not, uh, I'm enjoying our, our AD&D second edition games uh, a great deal for what they are, uh, but um, I'm really getting an itch to take a little more, spend a little more time with fifth edition because uh, um, it definitely, for for us, for the more um, story focused and the more cinematic style of, of play, like we had some crazy action set pieces in the last couple of things, and the game is very very light on its feet in the sense that it just it is um, it's easy to make the mechanics do what you want them to do. So, yeah, really enjoyed it, and uh, I, I think I I, um, um, 
I am definitely going to have to get some more 5th edition. With the, At the time of recording, there's a ton of ad advertisements that are coming out for uh, Zendikar Rising, uh, which is uh, the newest uh, Magic expansion. And I'm not a Magic player uh, and haven't been for you know 25 or 30 years or however long it's been since the early expansions. But um, the I am a big fan of the art of uh, Magic, and I am a big fan of the... Uh, uh, the supplements, the D&D supplements that have come out for it. In particular, the Innistrad one I like a lot. Uh, the Guildmaster's Guide to Ravnica I like a great deal. And while I don't know if I would run something set in Thera uh, or Theros or whatever the, the name of the, the setting is, that uh, the Greek, um, classical Greek-inspired one, I um, I definitely love the content in there. And uh, hmm, it's... Uh, Something I'd like to uh, definitely think about. It seems like the players really like it, uh, really enjoyed it as well, too. And, and I don't know if it was um, how, how much of that was just the mechanics and just the, the rules, but it's a solid set of rules, you know. Um, for for that style of, of play, it's a very, very good set. And it's fast-moving as well, too, which I really appreciate because um, I've been um, sort of humming and hawing and, and poking at a lot of... Uh, Pathfinder 1st Edition stuff, and uh, uh, Pathfinder 2nd Edition uh, again as well, too. I've got my next charity session is Pathfinder 2, so I was poking at that stuff. And um, the thing that's really, I, I think, I appreciate now for 5th is that it really, um, it has good mechanics that are going on that allow characters to make meaningful decisions on a round-for-round -round basis with what they're doing, you know, and how they're using their powers. Um, but it doesn't bog it down with math. Like it is really, and I think I, I, I remember this from the last time I'd running, I was running it on a longer, longer term basis, or at least I remember that was one of my initial impressions with it. And I guess I, I forgot about that, but it, it's really beautiful the way that the, um, uh, the edition doesn't really, uh, it doesn't fuss a, a great deal with math. Like you're not, the, the way that you sort of are fudging numbers here and there and whatnot on in the course of play, that's not really happening in uh, when we're playing 5th edition. It's, you know, the, the decisions the characters are making and the discussion we're having with respect to the rules is mostly to do with um, how they're making use of their action economy, you know? So it's neat. I mean, I, I um, uh, again, like, I think there's a lot of different... It's a, it's a matter of the right tool for the right job, but... Boy, have I enjoyed! Um, I enjoyed those couple of sessions of Eberron, and it and Eberron really, really suits that style of uh, of cinematic D and D, and that type of D and D is the best. It's it's the best Eberron adventures I've I've ever run, um, and I've run a quite a bit of, of Eberron, like I, not only with D and D but with a lot of other things. I think Fifth Edition does the very best job of uh, capturing that feel of Eberron that is noir and story you know uh, character focused and like you could run a, a really great uh, campaign inspired by like you know uh the perry mason show that's that's been out recently uh in eberron with with mystery and intrigue and whatnot and have that be your whole game and uh, minimal amounts of of combat or you could run a really crazy action heavy combat thing and both of them would be equally fun and, and the rules i think would support that type of uh uh, that type of play quite uh, quite well. So, yeah, um, and I'm going to end this section here, and I'm going to talk about um, another one-shot that we ran recently, which was uh, our Talsorians, The Witcher. So let's deal with that one next. All right, so the other, uh, I guess, notable one-shot that I have run uh, in the last little while was a, uh, a single session of 
are Talsorian's uh, The Witcher RPG. And uh, that one is, um, it is based in part on the, uh, the interlock system, which is a, uh, a set of mechanics that drives their uh, Cyberpunk 2020, and I think that, uh, well, actually I do know it, and, and their uh, new Cyberpunk Red uh, engine. It, it's also, The Witcher uh, has elements of, um, of the same mechanics that uh, were in the Fusion uh, system, which was kind of a hybrid of interlock and hero. And um, so the the down the the not downside, but like the the cautionary component of uh, of the session um, was that the in-print rulebook uh, that is out right now is rife with uh, with uh, errors, uh, and not errors in the sense of like grammatical errors, uh, as in um, there are elements of the um, uh, of there. Well, I mean, put. Uh, uh, clearly, there's about 11 pages of errata with that book. Uh, so the um, boy, oh boy, oh boy! Like there was just uh, there was a lot of referring. Like what we had some players who were referring to the most recent PDF, and there was me referring to my rule book. And there were so many things that were like there, there's whole pages that are different. Um, there's rules that have been substantially changed that are fundamental to the to the combat mechanics um, and and lots and lots and lots of little typos and the the reason that's a problem is because the game is I mean for one thing the game's combat system is pretty I mean it's fairly complex but it's very very good and very interesting and the um, uh, the game also has a very interesting crafting mechanic that seems to cut across uh, all the different uh, professions, and professions are effectively their versions of uh, skills. Um, and the the way that, uh, or the reason that's uh, that is uh, important, uh, or the reason that matters for the purpose of the game, is because when there's typos in the um, in the various um, recipes that make up your your crafting, uh, that just screws up. The, the game, and I, I, I don't know, I had not sat down and compared one to the other um, to, to, to say whether it is so egregious that it makes the game fundamentally unplayable. I don't think that's the case. Um, in fact, it, it doesn't. I mean, like, I, I thought the game was perfectly serviceable with uh, the way it was written. The errata definitely improves the game. It makes certain things more clear, and it makes what is a terrific combat mechanic um, even better. So the way that the if I mean I'm gonna assume that you uh, fine listener are familiar with the Witcher source material either by way of the uh, video game or by way of the very very good Netflix series. I mean good is subjective I guess. I really I enjoy the shit out of that Netflix series. Um, it is it tries to capture elements of both the movie or the TV show uh, inadvertently because I mean the TV show came out after the game uh, was was already done um, it uh, it captures elements of the novels and it captures elements of the um, what do you call it of the uh, um, the uh, video games uh, as well so the way that um, gosh I'm trying to think of how to, to say so the combat 
is a really interesting, um, it is tactic, first off, it's tactically deep. Like, uh, you are, this is a game that measures sword strokes, you know, not summaries of engagements the way that, say, AD&D does. Uh, AD&D does a summary of engagements, uh, GURPS tracks blow by blow. Um, so there's, there's that, that's, that's the mindset you need to be in. We're talking about individual sword strikes, uh, uh, and the decisions you make as a player as to how to approach things, um, tactically, whether you're doing every round, if you're engaged in melee combat, you're choosing whether you're doing a fast attack, um, which is going to allow you to attack twice, uh, or to do a, like use your action to, to take a two fast attacks, or you can take one strong attack. And the strong attack is a penalty to hit, but also hits a lot harder than what the uh, individual uh, attacks do. Um, the reason that you would want to ever choose one or the other is because armor functions as damage reduction in this game, uh, the way it does in a lot of other games. Um, you can also, uh, the, or rather, the the mechanic of uh, uh, of back and forth, the, the player, characters are being attacked, they can choose to use, spend their action to defend. But they can also spend stamina to defend against multiple targets. So you have a, not only do you have a resource that's your hit points, you also have a resource that is your stamina. And your stamina is what you use that you being worn down. Stamina works very much in the game the way that endurance works in um, champions or in a hero system uh, where like your actions, whether they're spells or whether they're you know um, different maneuvers or just pushing yourself and acting a whole bunch of times, um, that is, um, is governed by you wearing down your stamina. Um, it's also a valid strategy to wear down the stamina of your adversaries as well. So uh, it's something you want to be mindful for the things you're facing. Uh, the other way that uh, the other thing you need to track is critical hits. So critical wounds are something that is separate from your hit points. Um, and I think it's actually called health, not called hit points, but it's effectively hit points. You're uh, something that's separate from that. Um, that represents um, effectively like debuffs. They're, they're penalties that either mean you suffer a penalty to certain um, roles, uh, or you suffer a um, uh, you suffer a persisting kind of bleed. Like you can have a bleed effect where you're losing uh, hit points, and um, it, it reminds me very much of how uh, damage in role master functions, where the uh, you have your concussive uh, hit points or whatever they're called concussive uh, I can't remember concussion concussive hits uh, and you also uh, track um, criticals and critical hits don't necessarily just target there may be a, a concussive hit you know effect as well but more often than not it's it's an effect that is unrelated to your your hit points so what it means is you get a really dynamic fight where there's lots of different routes to uh, to success. You can beat down an opponent because if you defeat all their hit points, then they start taking crits. Hit locations is also a thing too. And um, because of the way critical hits are keyed to the different locations and different things you can trigger in the different locations, and there is four different gradations of critical hits, um, it makes for a really textured combat encounter. And when you are fighting big and tough opponents... Uh, the way the video game works is you you know you you, you basically wear down opponents, you wear down big monsters by uh, you know slowly getting different hits. You cut their tails off, you cut their wings off, you whatever you know you blind them. It's a brutal 
you know, tactical slog as you're going around and, and trying to wear down this opponent and, while still trying to avoid getting killed yourself. And the game mechanics, we, what, what we played in the one shot we played, we just did a, we randomly created characters, which was an enormous amount of fun. Like, really, really good uh, life path generation system that is a signature part of, uh, say, you know, Cyberpunk 2020, and I imagine is going to be part of Cyber, Cyberpunk Red. Um, it differs from some other uh, games that use life paths like, um, you know, like uh, RuneQuest or Traveler in the sense that it it does not have as onerous an impact on your character's stats, eventual stats, as what those games do. It adds texture definitely and adds, I keep using that word, I should using it. It adds some elements to your, to your character, but a very, very minor part of it. More so what it does is it generates a really interesting backstory for your character. So you get a chance to, uh, to really figure out who these characters are, and they're very thematic and very appropriate to the dark fantasy world of The Witcher. The, uh, um, the mechanics or the, uh, the fighting, uh, like I said, it is very, very, uh, it's very detailed. And skill over a combatant has a huge impact uh, on the outcome of, of combat. Uh, and what I mean by that is that if you have a, uh, if your character has a greater skill than an opponent, you are much more likely to score critical hits. You're much more likely to um, score really good critical hits because the the greater do the degree to which you beat an opponent, the the more serious a uh, a critical hit you can trigger. Um, but uh, the stamina mechanic also allows numbers to mean so. Like even a, a really really badass combatant can be outmatched or at least be tasked by uh, facing a number of uh, lesser adversaries. So, um, yeah, it's just, you know, like the, the one, we had one fight, so we created characters, we uh, had one uh, minor fight, which I fucked up, I, I screwed something up in it, and uh, then we had a second fight, and the first fight was just with some bandits, and that was okay, it wasn't, you know, anything to write home about, it wasn't, wasn't really, you know, um, super dramatic, but still, you know, totally serviceable, and the guys felt like badasses, so that was good. Uh, then we had a fight with a werewolf, and holy shit, was it fun. Uh, you know, we came away raving about the uh, the combat system in it, that it just, it felt so much fun. Like, the, um, the fight was very, uh, the characters suffered critical hits, the monsters suffered critical hits, the players made good use of their abilities, including a mage, who felt really, really cool in the, in the game. Um, the game is, the like, task resolution is fast on its feet, it's very intuitive, um, and once you get into the flow of the game, um, it definitely, like, it takes longer than just a game that uses hit points, like D&D, where you're, you know, you're having to uh, go back and forth and, and track, um, you know, the, the critical hits and stuff like that, but because that stuff matters, and because that stuff has con- such consequence, it really means that uh, the taking that time is worth it. It's exciting. It's exciting to roll and see what your critical hit is. And I mean, against lesser adversaries, I think that um, uh, the game as written, from what I recall, does not have like minions rules, but I would for sure incorporate or adopt uh, rules like that uh, for for just dispatching uh, lesser foes. Um, But it's a boy, oh boy, oh boy, what a fun system. Like I think I've talked in the podcast before about hitting that that sort of that mark where 
uh, between simulationist and uh, gamist, where you know your how much stuff you want to incorporate. Oh, I also ran Conan. Gosh, I totally forgot about that. And it, uh, and I'll, I'll talk about that. I had a, a one shot, a charity one shot of uh, Conan, uh, Modiphius's two D twenty Conan game, and that was a ton of fun. That was really really good. Um, and then it was interesting to, to run this afterwards because I don't uh, I I had an enormous amount of fun running Conan to the point where I actually I picked up Dishonored they're another one of their 2d20 games just because of how much fun I had with it and uh, I, um, I I definitely want to get Conan back uh, to the table at some point soon but The Witcher oh man I, I think I actually enjoyed it a little bit more um, it didn't have uh, the mecha- the momentum mechanic that is present in Conan so there wasn't quite the same experience it wasn't the same thing but um, holy shit, did I uh, enjoy The Witcher a great deal. Like, it is a really, really good, uh, it's a really good game. The combat is uh, brutal and tense, and uh, we didn't even get a chance to, to try out the, the crafting system. Um, another element that they've incorporated into the game in a very intuitive and, uh, and very, very good way is uh, the way that um, you... Uh, what do you call it? Um, the way that uh, uh, battle damage effectively functions. So, like the way you wear down the um, uh, the armor of opponents. Like your weapons take damage, your armor takes damage, and you know it gives one of the professions in the um, in the game is uh, craftsman, and uh, it gives them a really meaningful role to play. Um, and again, it feels very appropriate as well too, where the you know, breaking weapons and things like that is a possibility. Um, and, uh, yeah, it just, uh, the combat mechanics, the spell casting mechanics, the, um, uh, the, oh my goodness, the, uh, uh, the way that the Witcher's powers worked, um, everything about the game was an enormous, enormous amount of fun, uh, and captured many of the same gritty, sword stroke by sword stroke, uh, uh, you know, uh, feel of, uh, of Conan, uh, 2d20, but in a, um, a much more brutal, uh, <laughs> way. Uh, and I, I, I feel like as good as the game was in the one shot, I think it would be even better in an ongoing game, particularly because of the way, uh, critical hits can, can persist, you know, and there's some really good rules for, uh, in one of the supplements, well, I guess the second supplement of the two that are out so far that gives you rules for um, for playing uh, for structuring investigations. So having a game that is part Cthulhu style investigation and part brutal gritty combat, and then also part just dark fantasy stuff. Man, oh man, that hit that is hitting a lot of uh, of check marks for for me in terms of like favorite style of play. And I think that the um, the setting maybe is definitely not going to be for everyone, and it's not a system I would use for everything either, just as any other role playing game. But for what is designed to be, which is playing a campaign full of intrigue and dark, you know, monsters and uh, brutal, you know, um, uh, visceral combat, it is a does a, a just a terrific job, uh, and I enjoyed it as a, as a. Um, you know, to show I'm putting my money where my mouth is, I actually had a colored copy of the updated P- 
PDF with all the errata printed in a printed and bound version just so I can have a proper copy with all the up-to-date rules in one place. Uh, I enjoy the game that much. I, I really can't wait to, to run it again. Um, so, so that was one of the one-shots. Let me transition to the next section and talk about the Conan game. Okay, so next thing uh, is... Conan, yeah, I forgot I ran Conan, jeez. So I ran Conan uh, 2D20, the Modiphius uh, version, um, on uh, for one, for a charity session. We had uh, a another one-shot uh, charity session, and the, the player um, picked up, or picked, uh, the uh, Conan game for it. And uh, I, I'm trying to think here. I think we used, yeah, we used pre-gens for it. I, I pre-generated everyone's character except for the donor. And um, it was... The donor had requested a, uh, a mission uh, from C King Conan. So I, the the idea was that they were out on a mission for King Conan. That was all the instructions I got. So I wrote this um, uh, the story uh, for it, and it was man, it was a lot of fun. You know, like uh, I ran. Oh, you know, maybe I talked about this already because I think that was before my uh, last Eberron game. I, I, I've just. I've run a lot of really good one shots in the last little while. We've had some solid uh, sessions of the of other games as well. Our uh, uh, let's see here. Our um, uh, what the what the heck? Our uh, uh, Ash no. Our uh, uh, Conan one shot was great. The both Eberron one shots were great. The uh, we had a good Savage Worlds uh, session. Uh, we had a great Witcher session. And I've got some other stuff loaded up for, uh, uh, for let's see here, Vason, the uh, Scandinavian horror uh, game from uh, Fria Ligan. I've got uh, The Expanse from uh, Green Ronin uh, set up and ready to go, which I'm looking forward to running. And uh, Star Wars uh, coming up, Fantasy Flight, um, or possibly 5e, or possibly Saga Editions. we got some interesting stuff with that. And i got uh, the Pathfinder game. And then I also uh, sent uh, a word to my uh, my regular players and said, "All right, what what um, what games would you guys be interested in? In uh, you know, in, by December, I think I'll have all my uh, itches scratched that I wanted to run. Uh, and uh, you know, what games would you guys like to, to see uh, me run again? And the there were some really great suggestions, including like the Genesis and uh, uh, gosh, what else was in there? The Genesis and uh, Dragon Age and uh, um, I can't remember if Conan was in there. Um, uh, the Witcher wasn't mentioned, but I, I imagine if I bring it up to the guys that they'll we'll have people jumping on board. Um, uh, there was uh, some of the games we ran earlier in the year too. Cult uh, was was uh, suggested as well, and uh, I can't remember what else. But anyway, like the um, the games I have, uh, Star Trek Two uh, D Twenty. I really want to get that back to the table before. Uh, the end of the year, um, and uh, Call of Cthulhu. And uh, I, I'm particularly interested in trying the Old West version because I, I, I kind of dig Western stuff, and I've never... I haven't run a Western game in uh, I th at least 15 years. So it'll be interesting to uh, to revisit that. If I if I have run one, I clearly it wasn't memorable enough because I forgot about it. But um, there's um, Down Darker Trails is the uh, Call of Cthulhu uh, version of the um, uh, of an old west kind of setting, and then they got a great uh, mini campaign for it called uh, 
Oh, I don't even remember. Um, Shadows over Stillwater, maybe? Is that what it's called? Let's take a look here. I'll uh, quickly wander on over. This is one of the advantages of uh, working from home, I suppose, is uh, constantly able to look over. Shadows over Stillwater, that is correct. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, that one, I, I rewatched an older episode of, um, or session that we ran of uh, the, what do you call it? Um, uh, of uh, Call of Cthulhu, the Pulp Cthulhu one. And man, what a great game. Uh, it was a really good session. Very role-play heavy. And that's the thing that I find um, is always beneficial about running these different games is it gives me ideas and reminds me of things that I can do with some of the games that I'm running presently. You know, um, uh, AD&D does not really have mechanics set up for like social interaction. There's not like a gamified social, you know, set of rules. But I think that there are ways of i think there are ways of of having there be mechanics for that without it being a social hit point kind of thing because a lot of games that that seems to be the answer they come up with is to create a social combat system which i'm i don't find particularly interesting but uh i think there are ways to have that done where it um, it can be fun, and actually that reminds me of two other games that I, I solos that I watched that were really quite good. Uh, the the One Ring uh, session that we ran uh, about are set in during the Gondorian Kinstrife or just before it, technically. Uh, that was a, a really fun session, and um, Five Rings, Legend of the Five Rings, uh, the Fantasy Flight version. Fuck, is that a good game? Holy smokes, great uh, game mechanics, really good. Uh, it is a lot more intrusive. Um, in the sense that there's a lot more talk about the uh, game mechanics than there is in some of the other narrative dice games that we've uh, run. Uh, like, say, the, the Conan game, where there's a lot more focus on the actual dice rolls and the outcome and the approach you're doing. But all that stuff, I think, is actually quite interesting. And the way that they incorporate the uh, their advantages and disadvantages, which can affect the, uh, uh, the, the uh, dice results or the... Um, uh, the, the dice pools that you've got or allow you to tweak it and break the rules and stuff. That stuff is very, very good. And it focuses the attention. Uh, I have to do a whole episode about it once I've familiarized myself with it again. But it's a very, very good... Um, it's a very good mechanic for focusing game mechanic decisions on character and on um, like the, the personal kind of impact uh, and their personal um, I'm really making a mess of trying to describe this it focuses everything through character as opposed to plot I guess is is the way that I would think of it and it, I think that's really 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 interesting um, it is much it definitely proceeds at a much lazier pace than than some of the other games that we play in the sense that we're kind of fussing with the rules but I think the rules are quite interesting and the outcomes are always interesting as well too so there's really good uh I don't know I I feel and I said this before in the podcast it is the strongest implementation of the narrative dice mechanic uh, of any of fantasy flights games and I think that it has the um uh it has the best implementation of the five rings world uh, it does so does such a good job of giving positive reinforcement for playing your character like a samurai, for making that part matter, for making the role-playing part of it matter and giving you de- game decisions to make, like decisions about the mechanics beyond just 
roll this and see what happens. It's a really, really, really good game. Very good. Again, very similar to The Witcher in the sense that it's good in motion. Um, so the next thing, I guess the last thing I'll end on is talk about a couple other games that I have yanked out and been um, been kind of reading uh, uh, kind of obsessively. Uh, one of them was, and I don't know if it's because of the, um, the trailer for uh, Justice League dropping for the Zack Snyder cut of uh, Justice League and Whatever your feelings are on, on the Zack Snyder films, that's fine. Uh, if, if you don't like them, if you don't think they're good, that's fine. I uh, agree that there are flaws uh, definitely in uh, in all of them, but I enjoy the shit out of them. <laughs> I really, I know they're dumb fun, but they're dumb fun for me. Um, I know they've got vaguely fascistic kind of qualities to them, but I enjoy the shit out of the, uh, the presentations of the heroes and the visuals and whatever, and the crazy operatic self-seriousness that uh, all the characters have. I love those films. Um, I also watched uh, the Constantine uh, show from uh, NBC, and that was uh, <clears throat> really good. So I pulled out actually my um, the, my old Mayfair uh, DC Heroes game, and I've been giving that a read over. And there's some really, if you're not familiar with the game, it was sort of like uh, not competitor because I don't think it did nearly as well. But it was sort of a the DC equivalent of Marvel superheroes at the time. Marvel superheroes, the old phase rip game. Was, was one of the games you'd get, and uh, DC Heroes was the other. Uh, DC Heroes didn't really ca- you know, catch its stride until the second edition, unfortunately. The first edition was, uh, was a bit of uh, a mess and an experiment. Second edition, Ray Winninger, who's now with uh, Wizards of the Coast, uh, he came in and kind of reworked it, and uh, it is a solid game uh, v- for representing superheroes. The... Uh, and for scaling heroes from the Batman realistic scale up to Superman, you know, um, and, and beyond. Um, and there's some interesting ideas in it. There's a good narrative uh, dice mechanic or narrative uh, metacurrency uh, that is um, uh, called Hero Points. Uh, not, you know, it, it's a game from the 80s, so, you know, they don't lose points because they're using the same term that pretty much every default narrative metacurrency is called. Um, but it's, it's, it works really well for modifying dice rolls, for pushing your attributes, for surviving damage. So it gives some narrative agency to the players. And the thing that I, I think I prefer about it over, uh, the Marvel superheroes one, and I've always kind of preferred, I've, I've always played, I've owned both of them. I've run a lot more Marvel superheroes, but I've read my DC heroes game obsessively as a kid. I, I just loved it. And I, th- I, I think now I appreciate one of the reasons why it's so uh, good is that it makes everything relative. Like the way that there's, it separates uh, action and effect into two different tables. The action one is you really don't need necessarily a table. You can kind of figure out what, if you know the scores, you can kind of figure out what, uh, actually that's not true. You do need the tables for it. So you do need tables for it, but um, it's always relative. So if you have characters who are, um, you know, uh, slightly better or around the same range, um, your chances of success are going to be fairly predictable. If one character is dramatically better, like Batman beating up an old lady, uh, the chances of success and uh, dramatic effect and pushing the uh, the consequences of the effect even higher are really quite good. There's a logarithmic expansion to numbers and everything in it. So it allows you to scale, you know, Superman tossing a battleship alongside Robin fighting, you know, henchmen of the Joker in the same game. Um, and it is, 
Uh, yeah, it just, it, it's, I've, I've really, I've always really enjoyed the game. I think I've run it maybe two or three times, you know, in spite of having read the thing so much that my box fell apart. And I, I, uh, I did, uh, when I, in the last year, uh, after receiving a promotion, I treat, treated myself to a new box of, uh, both, um, Marvel superheroes and, uh, DC heroes. So I've got the box set again now, but it's, um, it's a really, really good, game and there's been some interesting developments I've seen since since I stopped paying attention to the game and I'm uh it it, I think will I'm very very interested in seeing that one at the table as well uh because well for one I love superhero role-playing games anyway for another one this is another one of those ones that I've read for years and years and years and never actually uh run for any significant length of time and I'm also really interested to see uh how the how the game feels at the table I feel like it's going to honestly feel with the, the hero points mechanic, it's going to feel a little more like a story game, more so than just a uh, uh, simulationist kind of uh, you know RPG. And there's also a really interesting um, mechanic that is baked into the system called subplots. And what the subplots do is you basically you pitch to your DM, you know what um, what your uh, what your uh, characters are going to be, um, I don't know, you, you pitch like a, a story that's going to happen, you know, alongside the, the ongoing plot. So it might be that, you know, someone's snooping your secret identity. It might be that someone's wanted, you know, it might be that um, your boss is going to be a pain in the ass. You know, your Perry White is, is uh, busting your, your chops over uh, some story deadline that needs to happen, you know. And the thing I like about that is that subplots are intended to be something that is specific to that hero, but it's the slow boy, you know, slow burn in the background thing that's going on. It, it isn't the thing that dominates the ongoing plot. It can, but it's something that is, um, is just a very personal thing. And the, th- the thing that's really cool about them as well is they're player introduced. Players are the ones who introduce that stuff. So it's the, um, it's the players who get to decide how your, um, you know, how you're introducing that stuff um, uh, for what, you know, what uh, elements of the, um, what elements of your character's backstory do you want to introduce? Do you want to focus on? Uh, and the players get rewards for it too, because every time your, uh, your subplot is featured in the game, you get uh, hero points for it in the same way that you get hero points for whatever the main sort of plot is. You get points for, for achieving different goals in that you also get it for your subplot. So there's a, there's an incentive for the players. And I think that's really, I mean, I think I like it a, a, a huge amount for a number of reasons. For one, they're flexible, so you can introduce stuff or ignore stuff or whatever that, that you, you know, as you uh, play through the game. Um, so it, it fits sort of the role that like Hunted or Enemy does in other hero RPGs. But I think it does it in a lot better and more flexible and, and uh, you know, um, a more dexterous way because you can adapt it. You can change it. You can, uh, you know, you, you and, and it's something that's happening in play. So it's something that's, that's, you know, part of the actual play of the game as opposed to just something that's part of character design, you know. And if um, it also allows you, if something's not working, to, to change it. Which is also really great because, you know, I mean, you may uh, going into a campaign decide, ah, I like, you know, Commander X is my 
my nemesis and I think he's going to be a great one. And then you see how the DM is going to present that character and be like, ah, it's not really how I, I pictured it. Shit, you know, but <laughs> they're continually going to be bedeviling me. And I mean, that's, um, that's not necessarily going to happen in every campaign, but um, I, I like the idea that you can flexibly shift it. And if it gives a, for a game that's from the 80s, it definitely shows a lot more uh, engagement and participation by the players in crafting the story and what it's going to be about. Not just like their decisions in that story, actually what is it going to be about. Uh, and I, I like that a great deal. It's, it's an idea that I've been, I think, in more cinematic games, like in an Eberron game, I would, uh, if I was going to do an investigative one with an ongoing campaign, I'd totally steal that idea. I want, there, there's so many neat things in Eberron, uh, I'd steal that and say, all right, guys, feed me, if you want, feed me subplots. And as the subplots come up, we'll give rewards based on that. And I mean, I, uh, 5e, I, I would prefer to, to run that like uh, a milestone mechanic than give XP because it's not, it's not a game for XP necessarily. But I think I would give other, I would give other ways like additional, you know, Astonishing Fortune, the way uh, I, I've used Aston the Astonishing Fortune uh Narrative meta currency in uh, past, in those both of the five uh, E games I've run recently. So, uh, yeah, maybe that or I don't know something else, some kind of uh, in-game reward. I don't know. I, I don't know what it would be necessarily, but it doesn't really matter. It, it's more a point of the players get to. Uh, the thing I find most interesting about it is it's the players turning their mind to being like, "What do I want this to be about?" Without doing the overly obtrusive thing of just like. I'm going to send you a list of six things and pick from these six things the things you want to have happen in your game and blah, blah, blah. And it just, uh, I like it. I mean, uh, and, and I think you could do that in, oh, I wouldn't do it in my, like, say, Night Below game or my, uh, maybe my Legacy of the Crystal Shard if, if it was going to go on. I might say, okay, you know, guys, give me some subplots that you want. It's things that, um, in order for them to come into play, I think you need to have some continuity of setting. Uh, so... If you're playing a, a campaign that's traveling all over, you might not be able to do that as well, unless the overall area in which they're traveling is something like, you know, maybe Starfleet or something. But anyway, the long way, uh, the long and the short of it is, is that what a really, really great game. And uh, I am very much looking forward to seeing how it actually uh, plays as my next uh, hero thing. And I like that, I guess one last thing too, the game is less concerned about like crafting um, your own characters. Like it's, it's really, it's not like uh, champions or meetings and masterminds where the, the primary uh, focus is making sure you got a solid game that allows you to build whatever kind of hero you want. The game is more about like, how do we make sure we're simulating how this character is gonna, is gonna act? There are rules for building characters in it, don't get me wrong, but uh, what I think I would prefer to do with it is steal uh, an idea from my buddy Chad Ginther, and uh, just say like, okay, this is going to take place in the Marvel Cinematic Universe or the DC Extended Universe or whatever. You need to come up with, you know, pick a, a character from these things and do your spin on it. You know, give me your Marvel Cinematic Universe version of what's a character that hasn't been introduced so far? Snapper? No, no, Snapper Cars DC uh, of uh, Fabian Stankiewicz. You know. Uh, give me a, um, a Marvel, and actually now that I think of it, that character may have been introduced in uh, in uh, Agents of Shield. So uh, don't at me if I'm if I'm wrong about that. Um, but in DC, you know, like let's do um, a DC cinematic universe version of uh, the Justice Society. 
what would that look like? You know, um, the, the Green Lantern Corps. What would that look like in the world of, um, you know, Man of Steel? Or, say, the world of uh, Arrow? Or, you know, what would uh, the Endless look like in, uh, I mean, maybe playing the Endless might be a little much, but how would you introduce the new gods in, uh, say, The Flash, you know, or Green Arrow? Uh, so, anyway, and I may, they may have introduced a version of Darkseid at some point. I really, now that I said it, I think maybe that might have happened. I have not kept up on those shows because 22 episode seasons are too long for this cowboy. But in any event, that, that's sort of what I'm thinking is that like it's a matter of, of finding uh, those characters and presenting it in a, um, you know, uh, making sure, finding a way to present the characters' powers and whatever else and allowing the people to, to play those characters. It also allows a lot of um, improvisation. I think the, the system, because of the way that the... The you know the uh, acting action table and the effects table work and the way that they're they call them uh, APs action action points effect points I don't know I can't remember what the AP stands for but it's the way of of um, measuring the world's stuff in this specific logarithmic way it gives you it's very easy to figure certain things out like how far can Superman toss a um, you know a Honda Civic. You'd look at your chart, you cross-reference what the strength is in APs versus the weight of the thing, and then whatever's left, you subtract the weight of the thing, and that tells you how far you can throw it. Um, how long does it take to flash to read a library's worth of books? Find out what how long it would take to read a library, and then subtract his uh, super uh, speed from that, and that'll tell you how long it'll take. And it is very, very light on its feet, and that's what for a, a type of a hero game where you want to allow the players to do crazy stuff that like the DC characters can do. Um, I think it makes for a very fast or looks like it's going to play for a very fast playing, um, you know, wish or power fulfillment or power fantasy kind of, of game. I, I had been thinking about running something where the characters are all just playing Kryptonians because I'd love to see what would happen, you know? Um, but I don't know. I'm not committed to that yet, but it really does. I think that that game would do that very, very well. And it would be interesting to see, you know, what if, uh, we find, you know, take the the Man of Steel world, and there are um, uh, four or five Kryptonian, however many player characters you want to have, probably five is, would be too many, but have a couple of Kryptonians who uh, were a part of the Phantom Zone uh, that weren't part of Zod's thing. They were press-ganged into his, into his whatever, and maybe they got uh, left behind. You know, they got abandoned on some kind of pod, and now they're arriving on Earth, and they're having to not only deal with the fact that the whole world kind of hates Zod and all his types, and they didn't seem to uh, trust Superman all that much. What are your characters going to do? You know, what kind of troubles and whatnot can you get them up to? You set that pre-Batman uh, v Superman, um, you know, and if you allow that, the world is probably if if that world already has a you know has had a Batman for twenty years. Uh, prior to Superman's, uh, you know, emergence and whatnot, what other heroes are out there? The the uh, show or the film implies there's a Joker in there. Implies there was a Robin. Um, so maybe there was a Justice Society. What would the Justice Society in that universe look like? What would Green Arrow in that universe look like? We know there's a Green Lantern that's been introduced um, because of the uh, one of the cutscenes from Whedon's uh, Justice League, but. Um, not cutscenes, but like one of the transitional scenes, I mean. Um, yeah, so, uh, 
But anyway, I'm, I'm getting way lost in, in sort of theory crafting here, but I think that would be really cool. And it, I would love to see what players do with that level of power. Like, I think it's, it's, um, it, it's the thing, it's taking the thing that's fun about superhero gaming and dialing it up to 11. You can do everything Superman can do. You can lift insane weights. You can survive, you know, unbelievable, uh, you know, injury. You can see the smallest things with your, you know, microscopic vision. You can vaporize stuff with your, your sight. You could, you know, alter the course of mighty rivers and shit like that. But what do you choose to do? You know, what do you do with, with that stuff? And, and when you are presented with challenges, both physical and mental and societal and whatnot too, you know, how, how does that shape how your character chooses to, to act. So you give the good kind of personal drama stuff that, that some of the best Superman stories involve where he can't punch his way out of it. He's got a, you know, it's the, it speaks to the character of the, and by character I mean like the quality of the, of the character um, as opposed to just how strong he is interspersed with insane action shit that you can only do with characters of that power. So anyway, that's the thing I've really been thinking about a lot. Uh, I, it was spurned by a past couple of really good one-shots where I had characters playing Green Lanterns, where similarly, it's just, you're giving characters the, the most powerful weapon in the universe and then presenting challenges to them, and it's incredibly in, enjoyable to watch how players respond to that and how they play their characters. So, um, anyway, that's a lot of neat games that I got in the hopper, apart from the uh, games I'm running. I think that I'm getting hungry, so I'm going to start wrapping this up for the dog starts barking. Um, let's make with the outro. Okay, clearly I, I need to do these more often because I really do like talking about a lot of games uh, when I do. Um, so if you, um, that's a, a lot of uh, me just rambling about uh, different games. Um, uh, if you have any comments, questions, or concerns regarding any of those games, um, uh, then uh, please uh, do not hesitate to leave uh, a comment. Uh, you can reach me on uh, by leaving a voice message on Anchor. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Dungeon Musings, and you can reach me by email. My email address is dungeonmusings at gmail.com. Um, in addition, uh, I want to give a big, big thank you to everybody who has uh, participated in our annual charity raffle uh, this uh, today, excuse me, tonight after tonight's session uh, that I run. Oh, the actual raffle draw, and um, we blew past our uh, goal. We raised almost $500 more than we did last year, which is phenomenal. Uh, so a huge thank you to anybody who has, uh, who is listening, who did donate to the Hero Save Villages uh, charity raffle this year. Thank you so much for your generosity and for helping us help those uh, kids. So um, until I see you again, I do hope that if this, if you are listening to this during the uh, COVID-19 crisis. I, I do hope that this finds you healthy, safe, and weathering the current crisis as well as can be expected. And until you see you again, happy gaming.